Hello everyone, welcome to Supply Chain Talk. Uh, hope you're all well um, and having a good week so far. Um, we've got a very exciting uh, session with you today. Um, we're going to be looking at how effective is your supply chain. Um, and we've got uh, two fantastic speakers with us today, one from sort of the energy and water sector and one from the food sector, uh, Benjamin and Daria. And I'll let them introduce themselves to you a bit later on. Um, if you're new to Supply Chain Talk, um, then you're very, very welcome. Um, this is not a typical uh, type of chat. It's more like a fireside chat. You know, we get talking about different topics. Um, we've got a few things that we want to talk about, but who knows where the conversation is likely to go? Um, because you are as much in charge of the conversation as us. So if you want to chat with each other, please do so. Um, and you can go on the chat and you can talk to each other and you'll, you'll see that already we've put onto the chat um, the article that we're going to be talking about in a minute. Um, and also, if you've got any questions that you want to ask, please use the Q&A um, here as well. Um, my job is to control the day. My name's Ian. I'm at the uh, Charting Institute of Procurement Supply. And um, what we will do or what I will do is I will pick out the best chat question or the best Q&A question. And I will actually present the best one with a beautiful mug. Uh, they only come in one colour. So I hope you enjoy them. Um, and please make sure that you do ask us some questions because that will make the best of the session with us. Um, so to start off with, I'd like to introduce my first guest, uh, which is Daria. Daria, would you like to come and join me? Hello, Daria. I think you're on mute at the moment. Sorry, Daria. Hi. Hello. Right. We got used to that. Hello, Daria. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I have uh, 20 years of experience in the logistics. Uh, I'm still alive, still standing, uh, working for the currently for the biggest distributor and a manufacturer in the region, uh, Croatia, uh, Serbia, Slovenia, uh, and struggling with the current challenges. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we're all experiencing that at the moment. Now, we met yesterday, didn't we, for the first time, which was lovely. Um, and we got chatting about the news article that we're uh, talking about today, which is all about Lazy Boy. Um, but I think the interesting thing about the uh, Lazy Boy article that's in the uh, chat, if anybody wants to go and have a look at it, um, there was two things that I found really interesting um, about there that I particularly liked, um, was the fact that they are thinking about their sourcing and how they're sourcing. Um, but interestingly, in the conversation we were having yesterday was how they actually looked at their lead times um, and they're starting to think about how they manage their uh, items and whether they're actually going to increase their stock because of the types of challenges that we've had over the last um, few months. So, Daria, do you want to share a little bit about your own industry and some of the things that you've been doing? Yeah, but it was pretty the same. And I would say it's quite natural to turn to those solutions to get nearer sourcing uh, or local sourcing and also to uh, high inventory levels. Because if you are having a customer-centric approach and you care about your customer service level, then you will pile your inventory and hire up your stock. Uh, what is, uh, I think, important is to keep in mind from the logistics side that that, that can be temporary solution because uh, it will definitely uh, bring new costs um, that will hit the company sooner or later. Yeah, very good. 
Excellent. So, and, and, and what do you think about, um, so inventory costs are increasing. So what did you think about Lazy Boy, the fact that they've actually not only increased it, but they've also gone out to buy more um, and, and rent uh, locally, more um, manufacturing plants, actually a bit more, a bit closer to them. Yes, that is definitely a solution. In, uh, in our uh, experience, we are dealing with a smaller outlets that are near the, the city centric and we can do um, um, replenishment more easy, more faster, but it's important that we have the inventory in place um, and then to replenish the, those local, uh, local areas to be closer to the customers. So I think that their approach is uh, quite uh, common and natural in this situation that we faced after, after COVID uh, mm. hit. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, thank you. Um, and I'd like to bring in Benjamin at this stage. So Benjamin, I know you're out there waiting. We met uh, yesterday evening as well and had a really good conversation. So Benjamin, do you want to say a little bit about yourself as well? Slightly different industry. So. Yeah, different industry. Uh, Benjamin, hi everyone. Uh, we are a, a manufacturer primarily coming from gas, water and electricity meters, but we are also investing into smart city deployments for street, street lights, etc., electronic vehicle chargers, etc. Uh, I'm supervising the functions of scheduling and purchasing for our own factories and helping them for any project improvements or moving to the next technologies like cloud scheduling or moving the purchasing function into the cloud as well with our ERP system. Brilliant. Thanks, Benjamin. And what do you think about this idea of moving away? Perhaps, you know, at some point we moved to just in time and then we were hit by, you know, terrible supply chain disruptions. And so people are, re are re rethinking that. So what about yourself and your own industry, Benjamin? Everyone is now trying to do the same, right? We are in a constrained environment. And, and everyone is trying to get the material at first, what they require to manufacture their products. But at the same time, everyone wants to build up buffer just to be prepared to what comes next. Nobody has that crystal glass that we can see what will happen in fall or winter. For sure, something will happen again, but everyone wants to be prepared. There are pros and cons. I can fully understand that a lot of people are doing that, but by that behavior of creating the buffers, we are actually prolongating the situation because it does not necessarily mean that we now put the material on where it's really mandatory to be used. But it's actually what is happening a lot of time is the material gets to the one that screams the loudest. Oh, yeah. How but it's quite hard for a supplier to assess where it's really needed. I mean, a lot of times those decisions are made on margin because where can I now earn the most of the money? Yeah. yeah. There are trucks really having a destination and they are just pulling over because someone called and gave a better price. I mean, we see that happening. Yeah. How, and, that, and that's quite a sort of, from a, a decision point of view, I mean, Daria, you know, how, we, how easy is it to make decisions about that? Do you find that it's much harder, isn't it? Yes, it's much, much harder. Uh, what we did is uh, that we uh, had to go through that ABC classification again uh, of our um, assortment because you can't have the same approach for the uh, different uh, kind of categories in your assortment. And what Benjamin said, I would completely agree. And like I said, it can be a temporary solution. 
because in the food industry, you have to watch out for the expiry dates and obsolete stock. So uh, this is our primary concern and we need to balance, balance those uh, decisions. How much do we uh, can pile up, uh, but also uh, when is enough to not have uh, obsolete stock at the end? Very good. Excellent. And, you know, but the, the topic that we're going to be talking about, the main topic we're talking about, which is why this article was so good, was we're talking about uh, visibility of data and real time visibility of data. And I think we on the on the supply chain talks in the past, we've had a couple of conversations about uh, visibility of data. But I think increasingly that real time data is becoming uh, important for us as well. So, I mean, Benjamin, what does real-time visibility mean to you in your industry? It can mean, actually, it can mean a lot. But what I desire from real-time data is I don't have the expectation to really show through every single demand change that we see in our system or tools to funnel that through till the end supplier. I don't. I would say that it would like even more struggles to the purchasing team that they are fighting with today already. Mm-hmm. What real-time data is more to me is when I have some impacts in my supply chain. So, for example, a supplier decommits. So, having real-time data is I want to see the impact on my customers. I want to see the impact on my manufacturing floor, so I can a inform the customer also having the revenue projection updated, and also I can ripple the backlog for the manufacturing floor to keep them saturated. That is the kind of information that for me is the end-to-end visibility. Or or I have a customer call telling me, yeah, we want this and that, but there was no forecast. What is your best time to deliver? I would like to have the real-time data to simulate that demand on top of the existing demand, taking all the constraints into account. taking the component availability, manufacturing capacity, everything that is set up as a boundary, that is kind of real-time analysis that I am seeking for. Thank you. Okay. Daria, is that similar for yourself? Well, in some cases, yes. So we are under a lot of pressure from customer demand. So like I said in the beginning, we have that customer approach and we started to... Um, try to get visibility from end of our process and to, to start from the delivery point. And then we are now moving uh, to the supplier end. And uh, yes, I think it's necessary to gain that visibility to be more, uh, more, more agile, agile and to uh, make faster decisions. And But what is the challenge here? Uh, first, we had the challenge that we didn't know what is going on on the field in this particular case. But now when we get the visibility in the different systems and upgrades that we did, uh, we now have a lot of data and we are struggling to connect them to get the insights and to be faster in the, in the new decisions. Right. Yeah, so for my industry, everything is turned to the customers and to be more faster to the, uh, to the customer, yeah. Fabulous. We had a good question, actually, which I think leads itself to this. So we had a nice question from Ashley uh, Primatera, which said, which components contribute to adversely inadequate stock levels and how can businesses combat these insufficiencies, Um, which we've just put up there so you can see which 
did you see that? Which co which components contribute to adversely inadequate stock levels and how can businesses combat these insufficiencies? Who would like to answer that? Benjamin, do you want to answer that? I would even say that there is no general answer to that question. It might vary really on the industry and on the parts that you are using. I mean, at the end, every, every missing component having an inadequate cut stock can stop your manufacturing line. So uh, many people, many companies are flagging critical items in their bill of materials because then they can focus on the critical items. But also if you, if you have a screw, a C-class screw and you don't have that, mm -hmm. you cannot manufacture your product. So it's kind of difficult to answer that question with a, with a specific, unique, valid answer. Mm -hmm. Damien, do you, do you I would agree. I was going through the assortment in my head and thinking, yes, I think the focus, what happened uh, on our side is that we put the focus on our A suppliers with the big uh, source uh, quantities that we are ordering. But then uh, what happened is that we uh, got in the situation and we um, were out of stock on some C components that were not uh properly addressed as a critical ones so yes i would agree that no matter what component you are talking about uh, if you're missing one uh, component you can stop the the line and you can run out of uh, finished goods and and when we the, the second part of the question is is a quite interesting one like how to how to combat with those insufficiencies and I would still vote for permanent cycle counting. And the, the important thing of the cycle counting is then that you categorize your items properly. I mean, we see best in class approaches, which are mainly finance driven. When you do it by value, you can also make it by turnover rate. And you can also flag the items by discrepancies that you had in the past. So then if you have the biggest discrepancies, you can work and review the processes. Did you have a good incoming inspection? Did you have forgotten to book your scraps, whatever? But then if you really analyze the ones that have the biggest and most occurrences in the, dif uh, in the differences, you can then have a look at the processes and see where the process itself is broken. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I've got a big, big thumbs up to that answer. So thanks very much for both of you to answer that for them as well. So, so you know, if we're if we're looking at um, begin to get this real time data, um, what what do you think are those sort of supply chain challenges that that, that real time data really solves for you? Um, you know, if if you were looking at the sort of the top two or three challenges that we have in supply chains at the moment, what does that real time visibility do? Uh, which of those challenges would they be? Benjamin? Did I understand your question correctly? How the real-time visibility helps me to make decisions? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have the information on hand, which basically helps me to make quick decisions. In the current markets where the situations are changing so quickly, we cannot invest the time to run reports, compile tables and do all the analysis for one or two days because the situation might be completely different. 
sometimes you need to go to a broker market or you, you have some special offers that you need to react within an hour. Otherwise, the next one will get it. So real-time data enables you to do the decisions quicker. It does not necessarily mean that it's always the good decision because <laughs> that is done on a different paper. So you can also do more wrong decisions quicker, but that's then a different topic, right? <laughs> Damien, you were nodding but there. Maybe the wrong decision is better than not making a decision at all. Uh, because uh, in my case, and on the looking uh, closely to the operations in the warehouse and the transport segment in the delivery, uh, I can't imagine how we would work uh, without real time that we have now and not having that uh, 10 years ago. Uh, we can see the inbound coming trucks. We can see in advance uh, what is on that truck, when uh, what is estimated time of arrival. And we uh, are comparing those inbound uh, data with the uh, uh, data that we have on our warehouse management system and to see if we have uh, workers available that can do unloading of that truck. So we are doing um, efficient, um, um, what's the right word, but we are, uh, we are trying to make the workers in the warehouse more efficient in what they do by looking at the real-time data from the inbound process. It's uh, similar at the outbound process. We are now with the real data. We can get the ETA to our customers. So the customer side, he can see the status of his order and he can say, I'm not ready to receive your order today or uh, say that there are some problems. The driver can put the notice to the warehouse that he is coming back, back with a return. So on each step of the pro warehouse process and transport process, we are using the real time to make decisions, good or bad, but they are made in that moment and we are trying to avoid stoppage in, uh, in that process. And, and here is the beauty of the interconnected systems when we move to cloud or the, the other technologies. Because now if you receive a delayed notification from your inbound process about your TMS system that you have mentioned, there are possibilities to connect that over to your other promising engine and the customer relationship. So you can inform the customer already that his tool might be delayed or having the production scheduler interfering and seeing if they can improve the schedule to catch up with the delay that is occurring from the ETA. But you have the information so you can prepare. Brilliant, brilliant. We, thanks. We, we had a good question in from Benjamin actually saying, um, are, are the severe worker shortages or the huge backlog of under-trained workers contributing to stock shortages, do you think? Well, it can. It can happen to an experienced worker. It can happen to an unexperienced worker. For sure, the occurrences are higher for the unexperienced workers. But he's bringing up a great point here because when we refer back to the, the article that you showed at the beginning, and, and that's the case for many articles, everyone is talking about buffers, right? They are only talking about component and inventory buffers. What a lot of people are not seeing is once those constrained, component constrained environments, what we will get over that once. I mean, we have outlooks that will last for 2023, 2024, depending on the industry. But what, we will get over that. And then what you need as well is a buffer of skilled workers. 
to catch up with everything. Otherwise, you then have all the parts, you have all the buffers, and you don't have the skilled workers that can convert that into your finished product. Net-net, mm -hmm. so you will not gain anything. So that is bringing up a great point. Perfect. Yeah, very good. Karen, do you agree? Yeah, well, we are struggling with the shortages for several years. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, I, I would say that this shortage is a problem in each, uh, uh, in each side, uh, in a, on the manufacturer side, on the transport, on the warehouse, on the delivery segment. You can see the shortages in the whole chain and everything is connecting there. Like uh, if you have shortage on one side, of course, the whole supply chain is uh, um, disrupted. Yeah, mm, yeah very true. Thank you. Uh, and he, he, another question here, which was a good one. Um, is there ever such a thing as too much data or does it just come down to effectively analysing the data available? Um, you know, uh, and I think this is something here, you know, I often see people getting bogged down in the details, as, says Carl. So what do you think? Uh, Tabia. Would you like to? Well, yeah, I often I often uh, talk about that with my colleagues, and yes, I would agree that in some cases there are um, big amount of data, but it's not the problem in the amount of data, but the way that they are analyzed and where the focus is put, and uh, what are the action uh, after the analyze. So we have uh, we had lots of uh, analyzes. What what uh, I just said that we are struggling because we have a huge amount of data, and we are struggling to extract that data and to make some uh, analysis. And after we are finished, uh, then the data is already old, so you have to do it all over again. But if you put the focus what are, you are looking at and strictly focus on that part of the data get the insight, uh, take an action, what can be done, then follow up just for some period of time and then let go mm. and then go to another set of data. This is what we are doing now because we don't have any other solutions so far to help us with the more uh, uh, more better way to extract data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last night, one of the things we were talking about was the different types of tools that are available to us and how they connect together. Um, and Benjamin, I think you had a, had a good thought around how the tools actually speak to each other as well. So do you want to just talk about the, what we think those emerging technologies are um, and how are they being used um, within your own organization? Yeah, we touched base on that a little bit earlier when we say that we want to have our TMS system supporting and feeding into the auto management system so that we can see with the end to end visibility of the data that here this vessel is delayed to that port, we can make the decision to reroute it to another port because there is a strike, etc. And we can then link it to the auto management instance or module that you are using to see the effect on the order promising on the customer side mm -hmm. to keep the customer informed to see how much we would need to anticipate other tasks uh, what do we need to change for the manufacturing floor and then you have that in your crm you have that in your warehouse management system to plan for the workers like daya mentioned earlier and so that is the beauty of the data flowing through the, it relates still to the question that we have just seen, is there too much data? I don't think there is too much data. 
it's the, the biggest challenge is to focus on the relevant data. So there are different departments in a company. So everyone has different requirements. So can there be too much data? In the database itself, probably not. It, only with a caveat if it's slowing down your refreshing time of the reports, then you have not filtered on the relevant data. And then the approach should still be go for 80. Because you, with 20% of your time, you get 80% processed. And that, that is where someone who is trying to be perfect all the time and doing everything 100% will just lose too much time. Mm. And the data gets old until it's finished. Do you think there's a do you think there's a capability gap in understanding data and turning it into information and knowledge for the organizations? Yes. yes. It's it's a big portion that you're highlighting here. There are so many new technologies, and I'm not speaking about just standard reports that are configured, but also the no-code software that you can now configure by yourself as as per your own demand. Power BI, Power Automate, so many other uh, off-the-shelf tools, but people are not trained to use that. Basically, it's 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 an important piece in implementing such IT projects to really take the workers and the employees and ensure that they are, will be capable not only to use it but also to spread the knowledge to have some kind of subject matter experts spread across the company that have a little bit more knowledge than just end users so they understand the background processes and can help and answer the first questions to the end users then as well. Brilliant. Okay, Daria, do you, do, you, do you agree with that as well? I saw you nodding. So. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. Like I said, it's, it's the focus and looking at the right data at the right moment and choosing what is relevant in, in the situation. And um, yes, unfortunately, uh, I see it all the time that there is still a struggle in the in the reading the data, understanding the data, and accepting importance of uh, of part of the, those data. So you, we were successful company and we were looking good and the numbers were good. But when we started with the implementation of SAP, we uh, stopped when we start talking about the codes and why the code is necessary and why do you have to have one code for, for one article and to have one picking position in the warehouse management system. So in some cases, I think we are still in on the basis. Yeah, and it's not just uh, in our industry, I would I would say in all kinds of industries. No, I'm pretty certain, Dario, you're not the only one. I think that's really key for what I've seen as well. So, uh, so Benjamin was asking, uh, and I'll ask you, Dario, on this. Uh, what role, if any, can um, artificial intelligence play, you know, perhaps in turning too much data into relevant, autonomous decision-making, which I think is a great question. So. I think that it's a necessity and that it can really help, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't rush into it. I would see how it works. Uh, so I would prefer to have predictive analytics and artificial insights, but uh, to, to keep uh, still on the, on the human side of the conversation, because what happened with the advanced analytics uh, in, in our case, when the, the pandemic hit, the biggest retailer with the most, uh, I would say, advanced technology that they had in a demand planning process, 
they broke down. They, uh, they couldn't rely on that analytics. So I think it's still um, a process that we are, uh, have to learn from it, but I think it's the future, definitely. Yeah, very good. And, and, and there's, a, there's a good question here that follows on with that, which uh, Ashley just asked, with, uh, with technology always adapting, what sorts of trends are you seeing in automation, AI, to better supply chains for 2022 onward? What is something you personally recommend businesses look out for? Yeah, you're uh, asking me or? Yeah, uh, both of you, but David, you start off. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, there's a fresh project that I'm involved in that's uh, autonomous mobile robots, introducing them to the warehouse processes. And I think that the, the robots are here. They are, it, it's not the future. And uh, maybe um, we got lucky to have the chance to, to, uh, develop them and to put them in place. And uh, also, uh, speaking about the shortages, uh, shortage in the working um, workers, uh, it's a necessity, and we just have to speed up with that. So this is only one of example of future uh, automation. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And Benjamin, what, what would you say? It's it's hard to give the guidance of, of future trends because there are so many when we see how much Amazon and everyone there is is involving in the logistics, they will come up with great things about picking routines or handling or picking robots, cobots. Well, you can recommend whatever is, is right now coming up. It might have its, its reason why it's there. Like I am right now looking into demand-driven MRP, where you're really decoupling demand and supply systems, and you really have it decoupled. So you don't have that end-to-end -end flow, but you have it decoupled, and your buffers are basically managing the flow and protecting the flow. But no matter what kind of recommendation is here, there is one general rule that needs to be taken care of before you are going on any further software trends or analytics trends that are out there. It's first, you standardize your processes. If you don't standardize your processes, you will, you will just die with customization costs. And secondly, what a lot of people are doing wrong is they buying tools to solve issues, but they did not analyze where the issue comes from because you can implement layer over layer of additional tools and visibility tools. If you don't have your master data under control, you will not get your results. So that will be the two main guidances that before you jump on any trend, standardize your processes and master your master data. And at first then further. Maybe I would add just one more thing to what Benjamin said, and that's to create a um, mindset. So I would say uh, the digital transformation and just buying all the solution. Uh, this is not the digital transformation. is the mindset of the people in your organization that you have to set up first to have, uh, to have the success in implementing all the new technologies that are available, but first if you really need them. And uh, I think the, the mindset has to be open for test and try and to find what fits you the best and not to just rush into, into new technologies that are available or will be. 
That's that's what occurred to me actually when Benjamin and yourself were just speaking about that. If you're going to standardise your processes, there's a huge human element in that, isn't there? As well as technology. Yeah. Um, you know, people are important in this, aren't they? Benjamin, yeah. your view, Daria, your view. Yeah. Pe people are important, aren't they? That's why I said that the culture and the mindset it, it for me it's it's the first thing. Because you will not have a standardized process, you will not have the clean master data if you don't have the people who will do that first. And yeah. the people who will accept to have the, the robot walking around in your warehouse. So we, we had like period from six months talking with each worker about the, uh, about the robots that we are going to, to put in place. And we were preparing them, uh, not just, uh, I would say, uh, give them the, the, the toys and you will have to work with that. So because uh, in this particular case, of course, the questions were, you will replace us with robots. And we wanted to avoid that and we success in that part. So now we are trying to develop the solution that fits our needs. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really good. Um, so talking about data um, and I, I, we'd like to talk about suppliers. So so how do you see the whole automation of supplier analysis going forward? Um, and, you know, how is that going to help you deal with things like the risks that we've had and the issues we've had with supply chain dis disruption? Um, Benjamin, do you want to answer that one? Sure. I mean, it's quite it's quite interesting because it might be the worst time for supplier automation because I mean you can automate the the analysis itself. You can analyze if the supplier is committing uh, according to lead time. You can see if he is reliable, if he is reliable with his estimated uh, arrival date or or uh, having the material available at the pickup date. You can automate that kind of reporting. But I'm always a big convince, convincer of having people talking to people. Yeah. And especially in these days where we are now, I mean, if we don't have the conversation with the suppliers, there is no chance to stay ahead of the wave or to, to get any advancement of the current thing. There is really, that's why we're coming back to the humans. You need to pick up you need to work with the laborers. They are actually doing the job, not the robot. The robot is supporting them and helping them to see the situation with the end-to-end -end visibility and to make a decision and to have a call with the supplier because they find some deficiencies or some discrepancies between the request date and the commitment. But at the end, you can have as you need people. You need people picking up the phone and calling the suppliers. Otherwise, you will. You will not get that by sending an automated email to the supplier that he is late every day. Mm. Fabulous. Thanks, Benjamin. Damien, would you agree? Is there anything more to yes, uh, in my case, I would uh, say the same thing, but to connect with the customers. Uh, so I think it's uh, what um, helped us. What was the positive, the positive thing of this pandemic is that we started talking because we all had the same problem and we really uh, gain a, a higher ef uh, efficiency from better relationship with our customers. So I think that this relationship should stay human and uh, but 
again, with the help of uh, analytics, definitely, not to substitute the relationship, but to help us be uh, more efficient in that, uh, in that collaboration. Yeah, for both really, sides. Yeah. It's really the benefit of the pandemic that more and more people are understanding that supply yeah. chain is the order winning criteria and not a necessity. Yes. But we can really, they understand the impact that we and the benefits that we can provide. Yeah. Very good. That's really cool. And so, so what about the future of supply chains then? It's awesome. Generally. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Excellent. So what is the future of supply chains? Uh, in, in a few words. <laughs> what do you think? Me first? Yeah, Benjamin. Yeah, go on. We will always have issues. So supply chainers, we, we are uh, conceptual problem solvers. It's just the way that we will be working is changing because we have way more data. We will have way more visibility. We will have way different tools. And we need to focus more on supply chain design and executing to those. And that's exactly what basically we are doing right now with all the automation that we implement. We free up resources that we can then use for supply chain design to make the processes even more effective and efficient to tie it back to the title of the meeting. Fabulous. Thank you. Excellent. Daria, would you like to say a few well, words? I really hope that the future will be better. And uh, I hope that that will come from the point that we just made earlier and that is that now it seems like we are heard and the supply uh, the supply chain is important part of any business and i think that can uh, help us to be even more efficient so the definitely the future is uh, full of uncertainties uh, and uh, but like Benjamin said, I think the, the people that are working in the supply chain and, and logistics are already prepared to navigate to those um, uncertainties and crises. But from now on, maybe we will have much more understanding of the business, in my case, the sales, the customer side. And with that, we can be even more efficient to, to struggle that future. Yeah. Mm exactly and, and there, was, there was once this picture that was shared like i'm working in supply chain i am solving problems you don't even know you have with methods yes. you don't understand yes, yes. <laughs> my point so yeah it's the mindset of the people in the logistics and supply chain we are just differently wired from the rest of the <laughs> company so yeah maybe uh, in my case we were really missing that understanding and uh, it's not that I'm happy in, in, with the current situation, but it's getting better. And that gives us, it gives us hope. Yeah. A lot of hope, I think, exactly. And also we're a great community, aren't we? Yeah. So we, work, we work closely together <laughs> and share our ideas, which I think is lovely as well. So we, we win are... together and we fail together, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Well, so we've only got we've only got a few more minutes. I don't know if anybody out there has got any final questions they would like to ask while we've got Benjamin and Daria here. And give you a couple of seconds if anybody's got any final questions. 
If not, um, I think my favourite question of the afternoon was from Ashley, actually. So I think I'm going to award Ashley this beautiful mug. You'll be pleased to know. Um, we've got one. Well done, Ashley. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I hope you haven't got one already. <laughs> and um, the next episode is on the 13th of July. Um, at four o'clock, um, and uh, which I think is Megan, so you'll see me there, um, which we're going to be looking at uh, turning the last mile delivery and fulfillment processes into a competitive advantage, which I think will be very interesting. Um, so before I go, I just want to really thank uh, Daria and Benjamin. Lovely to have met you both. Um, and thank you. That was really, really great. Really interesting uh, insights into your own world um, and into how effective our supply chains can be through real-time visibility. So lovely, thank you both. And hopefully we'll see you again um, you. on Supply Chain Talks. It was really great. So have a lovely rest of your afternoon uh, and evening. Thank you all the guests for uh, being here. Hopefully we'll see you on the 13th of July. So take care and speak to you all soon. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.